And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, your trusted small business admin advisor, expert, advocate. I don't know. I've got so many hats I can barely keep track of them anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. Now, today we've got a guest that I have been very excited to have on the get, uh, on the show for about oh about a year now. We, we met a, a while ago, local business, um, very passionate about local small business, and I felt that she had a lot to share with our listeners. And it's a really exciting show because I don't think there's a single person out there that is not going to benefit from today's topic. We're going to be talking all about employment law and um, the ins and the outs and the intricacies behind that and what implications that has for small business. It's very topical at the moment. There's a lot of things not necessarily changing but being, let's say, reinforced by the powers that be and in a way that can scare small businesses away from the prospect of employment. And that's not a great thing because it's very important, obviously, for the economy, not only at at large, but uh, obviously for our local economy. It's crucial that small businesses have the confidence, the ability and the skills to be able to hire people with confidence and not only hire people, but manage their staff as well. And that's what today's show is all about. So welcome to the show, Michelle Archer. Thank you so much for having me, Alexi. <laughs> now, always, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about what your journey is, uh, what led you to what you do, why you're passionate about what it is that you do when you help small business. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you to where you are now. Uh, thanks. Um, Alexi, I'm a, I'm a local girl. I grew up around this area, so I went to high school here. I studied my law degree at the Macquarie Uni, which is nice and close. So I've grown up around um, the local area. Um, I originally started my uh, legal career in the city and I was doing um, various stuff, litigation and stuff. And then about 15 years ago, I started doing employment law. I've really enjoyed it. I just love the the ability to not help both employees and employers. I advise both. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I've come back to the local area to start up my own firm. And I'm um, really enjoying being able to to practice locally and for the local community. I'm finding it's much more engaging to be. Mm, people around here are more engaged yeah. and we're more fabulous. I think that, that can be said <laughs> very quite, quite happily. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but definitely. what I found fascinating about um, a lot of business to business, people don't realise, um, those of you who live in the local community, we actually have 55,000 local businesses registered as of two years ago uh, in the Hornsby Shire. Um, that that growth is, is exponential, of course, so it must be much much bigger than that. Um, and a lot of those people would be, would be hiring and engaging with other people in the local community. It's a really important part and a heartbeat of the community as a whole, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's only going to get um, bigger and bigger as um, this part of the um, metropolitan area grows. Mm. Um, You know, as the um, Hills and Hornsby are both, uh, I think I saw something in their paper the other day, going to double in size. Oh, it's huge. It's exponential. Anybody who's living in the Asquith Mount Cole area like I am, it's like watching... It's like it's just happening so quickly. So tell me a little bit. I'm just a bit curious while we're talking about the local area. Um, do you find that uh, the the people you deal with are across lots of different industries, or is, is it a specific industry that do struggle with the the, the notion of employment law, or is oh, it really all, everyone? All, all the industries, yeah, definitely. It's all across the board. Um, you know, if you're employed or you employ someone, then these this is relevant to you. Mm, mm, exactly, and and everyone. It's not even just employing, is it? It's, it's if you engage with someone on any sort of a contractual basis as well. That's all intermingled with 
with yep, this sort of yep. law. And our um, workforce is changing. Obviously, there's more casualisation of the workforce. Mm. There's independent contractors. There's, you know, the traditional employment relationship, but also within that, flexibility. People want more flexibility, um, more telecommuting or working from home, those sorts of things. So there's lots of changing things um, about the area. So. Do you think that uh, lawmakers are keeping up with that demand and that those changes that are happening in the workforce or do you think it's a little bit reactive i'm getting political now do you do you think that it's very much they're just trying to tighten laws as things change or are they actually thinking ahead um i probably that you know they 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 do play catch up a little bit um but um you know there are there are lots of things that people can can do it's it's a framework it's not the be all and end all I often say to my clients there's the legal world and then there's the real world and they're not always the same thing mm, mm, but, exactly yeah. and I guess people like you experts such as yourself are there to to really bring those two things together and make sense of it yeah. because nobody out there is a small business when you engage with someone like yourself an expert we don't want to do the wrong thing we're not out there to try and you know get away with whatever we can get away with and we don't want to turn as I mentioned in the in the office early we don't want to be in a Walmart economy where we're all paying everybody seven dollars fifty an yeah. hour we want to do the right thing by our employees because it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to hold on to them and build loyalty and look after them and their families. I was speaking to a builder yesterday. He was out at uh, Villawood and he said, I don't have seven employees. I have seven families that are under my care. And he was very much had that attitude. And I think that that's something that I think a lot of people around here have that attitude. Then they're, they're conscious of the fact that they're supporting someone else as well. Yeah. And with a lot of these things, Alexis, if you set it up, correctly from the very beginning then you get into much less difficulties exactly so this is what's so great about today's show we're going to be talking a little bit about the different aspects of of engaging with employees um, at the different stages let's 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 look at it logically let's talk about it chronologically so obviously um, engaging with someone for the first time the thing that they need to be aware of is the fair work act can you just take me through a brief overview of that Um, Well, the Fair Work Act has been with us now for nearly seven years. So it was brought in by the Rudd-Gillard government in 2009. Um, It's a federal act, obviously, and it's the main act that governs um, employment relationships in in Australia. It doesn't govern everybody. There are... um, But the very small number of, say, state employees, so state government and local council employees, Mm. are not covered by the Fair Work Act. But basically everybody else is covered by this act. So it's, it's, it's the main thing that... There are other acts. There are about you know occupational health and safety or long service leave or those sorts of things that we that also affect um, employment. But this is the main main act. So when we talk about that act, um, some of the things that uh, small businesses might be aware of that are bandied about a bit is like the national employment standards that's mm-hmm. relating to the act. Yep. Award rates that comes under the act, is it? Well, um, the act provides for the pre- um, creation of modern awards, but ah. they are kind of separate. Um, documents. They're not contained within the Act itself, but the Act gives the power to the Commission to make modern awards. I've been telling a lot of my clients who are interested in, you know, bringing people on board that um, the National Employment Standards are kind of the backbone. Would would you agree with that, with with hiring people? Yeah, definitely. If you look at the National Employment Standards, they're the the kind of basic standards that most people are familiar with. Um, So there are 10 of them um, and they apply to all employees. Well, when I say all employees, not necessarily casual employees get yes. all of the standards, but all permanent full-time, part-time employees will get all of the 10 standards, which are um, range from um, working hours, um, annual leave, um, rights to maternity leave, 
or, or I should say parental leave, no, yeah. it doesn't have to be maternity <laughs> leave these days, um, community service leave, um, redundancy pay and, and termination pays and those sorts of things that most people are reasonably familiar with. Um, casual employees don't get all of those standards, mm, but, mm, um, mm. but they do get some of them, but yeah. And that's what I find quite interesting is when it was explained to me about the National Employment Standards, um, if you start reading them, it makes sense because those of us who have lived in the corporate world before know that they've sort of seen contracts that have got those things stipulated in them. But um, I think what's interesting is that and this was very well explained to me once they said, it doesn't matter, you can get someone to sign away that they're happy to work 100 hours a week, but you can't, that's sort of the overriding law, isn't it? Even any common law contract, you can't, even if they agree and sign away their life, it doesn't mean that you can break those those standards. Yes, they're what's called statutory obligations and you can't contract out of them. You, they must be adhered to. So for example, um, a contract might say, you've got to give, uh, we've got to give you two weeks notice if we terminate you. Well, there's standards that say after a period of time that it, it might be, for example, four weeks. So it doesn't matter what the contract says, that they, they will have to be paid in accordance with the standards if the standards are, are different. And a quick question relating to the, the link between the National Employment Standards and contracts. Does a contract have to include mention of all of the NES standards? No, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to state it because they, they will apply no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, so it, the contract can refer to them or not, um, but it, it doesn't matter. They will still apply. Right. They're statutory. They're, they're obligations that must be adhered to no matter what. So even if they're unspoken. But you do have to supply a copy of the NES uh, to the National Employment Standards to a new employee every time they start. It doesn't yes. have to be a physical copy. It can be an emailed copy. Uh, yep. But yep. that's so, one of the obligations. So um, the National Employment Standard Number 10 is that um, you must supply a copy of what's called the Fair Work Information Statement to all new employees. Um, so when I draft contracts for my clients, I always attach the Fair Work Information Statement as a schedule uh, yes. uh, to, to the contract. Oh, okay. Just to, you know, just to make sure that they are being provided with a copy of it. Um, so what that, all that statement is, is basically tell you about the other at the other nine things. Yeah, the other nine things. <laughs> it's like the 10th yeah. commandment telling about yeah. the other nine. <laughs> it also gives you um, information about, you know, websites you can go to and, and you know, awards and stuff. But, but yeah, basically, it, it's, it's you can Google it, you can find it, just fairly oh, information. Oh, it's dead easy. Yeah. Mm, just like that super choice form. Yeah. <laughs> that everyone has to fill out and then file somewhere for yeah. no reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have shown that you've asked someone for, for that. So um, in terms of the process of hiring, um, are there any sort of standards or requirements, I guess, that are legislated when it comes to actually uh, interviewing? Because I know that there's certain standards when it comes to managing staff and making sure that unfair dismissals don't happen. But I've always been curious, at that front end, are there certain questions you must ask? Are there certain things you have to find out from your employer? Is, it, is there anything legislated there with the, with the no, interview? No, it's not that prescriptive, but w there are. it's more about what you cannot do. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> so there are... Um, the Act does provide that... Um, that you cannot discriminate against people for certain um, characteristics. I can't rattle off everyone, but, you know, the, the usual race, sex, um, uh, family responsibilities, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And that includes not only your employees, but any prospective employee. Um, so if you don't employ someone for a prohibited reason, um, then, then that would be a contravention of the Act. So... Um, in terms of, there's nothing that says you can't ask, but but the reality is, if you're asking those sorts of 
you know, questions about, um, you know, what, you know, how many kids have you got, or you know, are you planning on getting pregnant? So classic one for women. Yeah. Um, and then you know that, and you don't employ the person for that reason, then that person could make a complaint. So is the complaint an unfair non dis non dismissal, uh, non <laughs> unfair non employment? It's a separate. <laughs> it's a separate part of the act. It's called um, the general protections or adverse action. So if you've um, and it's section 351 of the Act. If you've discriminated against someone for... And it, it, there's a whole range of things like political opinion, religion, national extraction, all, all, you know, there's a whole big long list, gender, those sorts of things. And it can include an employee and a prospective employee. So it's not a good idea to have an interview down at the pub after you've had a couple of drinks and you're talking um, about politics. Yeah. Then. Not so no, much. No, no. <laughs> pro pro probably not a great idea. Um, but, yeah, you just, I mean... I think most people would have a reasonable feel that if you're quizzing people about um, their religion or their politics or their, um, you know, sexual orientation or their family responsibilities or those sorts of things, that that's, and, you know, that's probably not an area that you would normally interview. And on. age is a big one as well, because I read an article recently on um, one of the news sites that said you should not put your date of birth, well, you shouldn't anyway, because it's a bit of a confidential piece of information, but you should never put your date of birth and your year of your birth on your, on your CV because it doesn't allow for people to discriminate before they even invited you in to interview. Would you agree with that? Is that um, a good idea? Well, it's not really my area about um, recruitment, but, uh, yeah, look, age is obviously a big... Um, is a is a big um, discriminatory factor, and it's you know it's well known that if you're, you know, in in your fifties and you're looking for work, that it can be much more difficult. And, mm. and the act even recognises that by giving an extra week's notice to someone who's over forty five when they've been terminated. So, um, yeah, look, I've also heard anecdotally that that um, recruitment agencies will even um, um, throw out CVs that have you know been correctly punctuated because they feel that that might indicate an older person rather than a younger person. Oh, wow. So, uh, I mean, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, look, certainly age is definitely one um, uh, area that you cannot discriminate against. But, you know, again, legal world and real world yep. in the real world. Um, it, it does. You know, it does, it happen. does happen. But you just have to be careful as, as a prospective employer that you're not um, setting yourself up by asking those questions. I mean, you shouldn't anyway. It's common sense. Yeah. Look, you're listening to Triple H here on 100.1 FM. This is Small Biz Matters. We're going to be back after this short break and we're going to talk a little bit more about hiring and firing employees, the legal implications. You're here on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back. And welcome back to the studio. You're here with Alexi Boyd and Michelle Archer, local employment expert in law uh, and she's sharing us with us some absolutely fabulous information in relation to just um, how to engage with employees at the beginning making sure that you're covering yourself now of course if you've missed any of today's show you can get in touch via the smallbizmatters.com.au website there are blogs and podcasts there's an event calendar which has loads of information on there about what you can do uh, in the local area if you're a business of course and um, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the fantastic things that are happening later on in the show. Um, so thanks again for coming on the show, Michelle. It's great to have you. And also very important that we've got someone who's a local expert as well. We're very local and vocal here on Small Biz Matters. Now, just before the break, we were talking about um, the standards in relation to hiring people. There's obviously a process that's involved um, that, I, I, I'm, and I'm going to ask you here, I'm going to take you through what I think is the process and let me know which of those is actually kind of legal, right, as opposed to good practice. So you've obviously got the national employment standards that you have to adhere to. Yeah. Um, giving someone a contract 
Is that a must? Do you have to give someone a contract, uh, an employment contract in order to hire someone? Is that one of the standards? Um, it's not one of the standards, but, you know, from my perspective, it's a must. Yes, um, you'd be very you know, silly yeah, not to. Yeah, you'd be very, very silly not to. But you're not required by mm. any part of the legislation to give a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think you, you'd be mad not to. Um, it can cover things outside of the standards that, um, you know, that you might, that might be really important to your business. I'm particularly thinking of post-employment restraints, mm. um, which are all the rage at the moment. They are. Um, and, um, you know, they have to be targeted. You can't just sort of kind of stop people from just working ever you again. You have to stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, when you've got a business, for example, which is really customer focused, if you've got salespeople who are out there every day who are the face of your business, um, then you are within your rights to seek really reasonable um, restraints to stop them from stealing your customers if they if they leave. So that's only something that can be covered in a contract. Also confidentiality. I mean, that's massive. I, I don't think if there's any industry out there that you're not uh, supplying at least some confidential information, even if it's just a customer database with names and addresses. I mean, all of that is very... Um, so, you know, it's, it's part of the Privacy Act. So does that is that health well covered in a contract? Um, well, there are some provisions in the Corporations Act, for example, that, that will cover um, information. Um, but it's always better to have it in the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm a lawyer. I love everything written down. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, I just think it's... it's it, Everyone knows where they stand. If you give them a written document saying, you know, these are your obligations, both during the employment and after employment and you cannot use our confidential information. And it kind of covers it both ways. It covers the employer, but it also covers the employee to know what they're walking into, what the expectations are. Um, what's your opinion on on coupling the employment contract with something like a staff manual, which indicates social media policy or, you know, punctuation, punctuation, <laughs> punctuality or, and punctuation, uh, expectation with when people arrive and how they behave. Um, that's obviously not something you have to do, but what do you think is, is the importance of a staff manual as such? Um, I don't want to get sort of too legal legal on it, but with policies and things, I think you want to make sure that they don't form part of the contract mm. because what you want to be able to do is change them mm. and, and, and adapt them to changing needs of your business. And if it's in your contract, you have to change the contract every time. So... Um, and generally speaking, um, you know, for for reasons that arise from some previous litigation, it's best to sp- specifically exclude policies from your contract. So generally you would say that the employees have to abide by any policies, that they can be changed any time, but they don't form part of the contract. Mm-hmm. So is it a good idea to get one of those or engage with an employment lawyer such as yourself to get a really good, solid contract and then as an add-on, you can develop your own staff manual because that's more about your business and you know that more intricately. And yeah. But it's it's that contract that's got to form like the foundation for the relationship. Yeah. Look, policies are really important and you should really make sure that you have good policies all the time. Um, but the thing about policies is it's all very well to have them written down. You really have to enforce them. Mm. So, you know, for example, I'm thinking about um, a, a harassment or bullying policy. Um, you know, everybody can have them written and put in the staff manual and put it on the shelf, but 
if you're not actually actively out there in your business saying, hey, you know, calling out bad behaviour, um, then it's a bit useless. And it also yeah. hasn't got a legal leg to stand on anyway because it's part of the, you know, foundation of how people have a right to work. Yeah. They don't they yeah. have a right not to be harassed, so, so it doesn't matter that you've... Just merely having it on it mm. written down is not going to be good enough to, to save you from a complaint. Um, so, you know, look, to answer your question, yeah, it's really good to have a... a solid contract um, and getting that together in the beginning can save a lot of grief down 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 the track mm. but you also need to have good policies but policies are a whole different discussion exactly about, yeah you know, um, making sure not only that you've got good policies but that they're being enforced and enforced yeah and I think that's something a lot of people forget you put them down on paper you file away the paper and then you just forget about it it's yeah. not a great idea so um, the, the last part of course is 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 award wages uh, award rates I should say so your awards now that's a whole kettle of fish but it's really important that you know from the beginning and this is why um, as a bookkeeper I always say to people look if you're thinking about taking on staff you need at least a good two week possibly one month lead in time because you need to establish what all those awards are and make sure you've got your paperwork in place and got all their details before they start and the contracts are all signed it's um it's not complicated it just because of the nature of the way we work these days it just takes time to go back and forth to get that information so award rates uh, uh, do they form? They form the part of the NES, don't they? You have to be um, paying people appropriately and correctly. Um, well, they're not really part of the NES, but they are. They are. Um, they're enforceable like the NES. They're ah. not. They're like statutory obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like we were saying before about you know, um, you don't have to necessarily put the statutory. Um, NES in your contract, you don't necessarily have to have award rates in your contract, but you know you'll be stung if you're not paying um, correctly. Seven Eleven. <coughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you know they're they're like they're like the um, standards in that respect. They are statutory obligations, and you cannot contract out of them. You can pay above award. You can pay you know more than the award requires, but you definitely can't go under the award. Mm, it's like saying trying to say to people, I'm not going to pay your super because I'm going to pay you more and therefore it includes your super all that sort of thing yeah. can't can't yeah. be done you, you can't you can't get out of those obligations mm. you must um you must pay in accordance with the award if an award applies to you or Just applies to your workplace talking to people um as you do every day in these in relations what what's people's opinions on awards do they find them complicated do they not quite understand it do you find do you think it's easy for people to find this out or is it is it sort of a big hurdle for business um I think there's quite a lot of fear about them. They 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 worry about them, um, and they're very kind of frightened of them. Um, you know, in this sort of internet age, they're easily accessible, mm. um, but perhaps not very well understood. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think people do get a bit worried about them and 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 frightened of them. But um, you know, they're they're much more simple than they used to be. Yes, um, you were saying, <laughs> which I still can't get my head around. But I guess it's just once you've established what industry you're in and which award is appropriate, you just look at it and go, okay, well, this person has this level of experience, so I determine mm. that they are going to be in that. The hardest part, I think, is the classifications. Working out what classification someone is, um, and it's actually quite good idea for an employer to have a look at the classifications in the award and and see which one um, marries up to the job. Um, is that the grade or is that the what what it is that they do? Oh, it's it's kind of both. So um, in each award, I'm thinking of the modern awards, there'll be a schedule attached which has all the classifications and, there, you know, there might be, you know, 
um, different levels of the same kind of job as as the person gets more senior. Mm. So kind of, I mean, it, it's hard to have a one size fits all classification. So you know, often I'll get someone coming in saying, "Oh, I do this, 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 and this," but doesn't really fit into the award mm. um, and, and how the award has described the classification. So. Uh, yeah, it, you've got to have a look at the award and try and do the best you can to fit into that classification. And as always, when you do anything, uh, you mentioned earlier, it's just a good idea to have everything written down and everything um, determined in writing. And and nowadays, am I right in saying that emails are legal documents? Um, well, certainly em- emails can yeah can be one. Um, so well, if in, you in writing, it's usually yeah. d- the specification is usually in writing, and emails are writing. I mean, you've also got regulations as well about keeping correct records about what classifications people are and whether they're full time, part time, casual, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So in the regulations themselves, you are supposed to keep records indicating. Um, you know, certain matters about the nature of the employment. I mean, that is something that I think. Um, small business in particular doesn't do very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And record keeping. Record keeping. I always say to people, look, um, you can probably muddle along with an Excel spreadsheet to a point uh, and, and, and that's sort of an okay accounting. But once you get into payroll, that's when you want to start throwing money in a piece of accounting software because trying to figure out the entitlements and trying to figure out, um, you know, overtime and all those bits and pieces and making sure you've got all of their details there and logging something with the ATO, that can all be done through some pretty powerful payroll software these days. And it actually makes your life easier. Yeah. You can keep all those records there. And you've got to give pay slips and all those sorts of things. Um, Exactly. I would say, however, just a little bit of a tip, anybody out there who is using cloud-based software, please turn on your two-step authentication, which means that you have to log in, which everyone, I'll admit it as well, everyone just leaves the password in the computer and just hits the OK button. A two-step authentication then has a, a, a number that might be rotating number on, say, another device like your phone, which you have to check and add into as a second step for logging in. Very important when you're dealing with people's private personal information, things like date of birth, tax file numbers. I mean, that's you have a, a, an obligation to make sure you're keeping that information secure for your employees. So um, if you are using cloud-based uh, software, I would very much encourage you to do that. It's just my little bookkeeping hat, <laughs> my bookkeeping tip. So everything goes wrong and you have to uh, dismiss uh, a certain staff member and you realise that your record keeping has not been great, you know, what? can you take me through what saying you're fired means? What does that, what illegal implications does that have for the business and, and for the employee? Um, well, it depends why, Alexi. So if you're making someone redundant, for example, then there are different um, scenarios to if you're terminating someone because they've not been performing. Um, so um, if you're going to, uh, the other thing I should say is if they've been engaged in serious misconduct, then you will always have the right to terminate them on the spot. Can you just describe to me what, uh, an example of what some serious misconduct is? Uh, serious misconduct would be fraudulent behaviour, dishonest behaviour, you know. Harassment, a, sexual harassment. Um, sexual harassment, yes. I mean, you, would, you have to be certain that that the behaviour has occurred, mm. um, but you know those those much more kind of serious um, misdemeanours or misconduct is is when you have the right to terminate someone on the spot. I usually say you know fingers in the till. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's um, 
going to be um, a serious misconduct and a summary dismissal. Because it's a bit of a tricky area, isn't it? Because if someone says they're leaving or they're fired, in the corporate world, they are literally stood up at their desk and like almost frog marched out. <laughs> but And then they come back later with security to pick up all their stuff because people... The, the corporate world doesn't want them to steal anything off their computer. I mean, how does that work with small business if you're dismissing someone? I guess that's where all those protections come in place with yeah. contracts and stuff. Yeah. So um, when you hear about people being marched out on, on the spot, it, they may not necessarily be guilty of serious misconduct. It's just that the employer has chosen to pay them out. Mm. So they can be paid... You can... with. You've got to give a, a period of notice, um, and if you determine that you just you want the pe- that person to leave on the spot, you ha- have to pay them the lump sum for that notice period. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're you know had their fingers in the till, um, <laughs> but it, yeah, they can be paid out okay. um, their notice period. Um, but for small business, um, small business, the the main area of concern for small business is getting lumped with in an unfair dismissal claim. Oh, it's terrifying. It's what a lot of people are yeah. fearful of. So they don't want to employ people because they're worried about unfair dismissals and, you know, because it's such, you know, when you have a small business, getting someone who isn't the right fit um, is is can really be damaging. Mm. Um, so I guess, you know, there's a bit of misconception out there about what small business rights are and I should actually just define what small business is so far as the Act is concerned. It's fewer than 15 employees. So if you've got 15, you're not a small business but if you've got fewer than 15 and that's a straight head count, um, then you are a small business so far as they're concerned. But what a lot of people don't know about unfair dismissal for small business is that an employee cannot claim... Uh, an unfair dismissal claim if they've been employed for less than 12 months. That's right. Yes, I did, re- I did, I did read that. So they, they, they just don't have that right? Yeah, so they cannot claim unfair dismissal. They can still claim those other things that we were talking about earlier about discrimination if they were, you know, um, for example, if they were terminated because they announced they were pregnant or something mm-hmm. like that. That's not allowed. And bullying and harassment, and that's, a, that's a different yeah, kind of thing. So yeah, but they cannot claim unfair dismissal. So you've got 12 months to kind of look at this person and decide, look, they're just not performing or they're just not the person that... that they you pretended know, to be. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so you've got 12 months and then they cannot claim unfair dismissal. So, you know, I think that's something that people don't know and that they um, have that um, that ability to, to kind of, you know, they don't have to make the absolute right decision mm. right at the hiring time. But that doesn't mean that you don't, you shouldn't be keeping good records during that first 12 months because evidently if they get to 10 months and they start to improve and you keep them on, you still need to have that oh, yeah. record keeping of the yeah. first 12 oh, yeah. months. Oh, yeah. Record keeping you have to do all the yeah. time. Yeah, that's, that's, lots that's, of writing that, down. Yeah, yeah, lots of writing down. <laughs> um, the other thing that small business has is um, they do have a defence to unfair dismissal if they have adhered to the small... I've forgotten the name of it now, but the small business um, dismissal code or something. Um, so there's a little checklist that you can download off the, um, off the Fair Work... Um, ombudsman website. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Small Business Fair Dismissal Code, mm-hmm. um, and you just follow those that checklist, and it'll take you through um, what you need to do, um, even after the twelve months. Or is this still within the twelve? No, no, period? no. So this is at any at, at any, any time. point. Like in the first twelve months, the person cannot make an unfair dismissal claim. Right. So after that that period, if you t- um, download the checklist and ha- and go through it, it'll kind of give you those 
step by step guidelines like you know has this person engaged in serious misconduct yes then you can terminate them um, straight away has this person not been performing then they'll take you through the kind of the, the what you should do, yeah, that sort of stuff, and and that whole warning system, the three strikes and you're out. Um, does that that sort of does that still ring true? Um, if you've kept your records and and you've got an an, an employee who's longer been there longer than twelve months, and you've been um, managing them, you sit down with them, and you say, okay, first strike, you're not performing because of this, this, and this, and it's clearly set out. This is what I was expecting, and answer is not what I'm getting. Then you do it again and again. Is that uh, okay, grounds no, for dismissal? Nowhere is it legislated that you need three warnings. You just need to have a fair process. Mm-hmm. Um, so every case is going to be different. And I know people don't like hearing that because they want certainty. They want to know oh, if I give three warnings, that's, that's all I need to do. But mm. every case will be different. So, yeah, again, documenting everything. If you're talking to someone about their performance document it um so many times i've come oh yeah i had a chat to him about it yeah when yeah. where yeah. what we say yeah. i have a little um tip that i give to people which is write an email to yourself yeah and write down what yep. it was that was said where you were well, where you were that was a bit of a too yeah. too much information but what, what was said bullet points what they said what you said um and then it's date and time stamped yeah and then you just file it into your emails because everybody's got a great filing system right where you've got every email filed and you don't just rely on the universal search, right, everyone? <laughs> so there's my little admin tip. You are listening to Small Biz Matters. We're going to be back after this and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, uh, awareness around uh, hire, around firing when it comes to uh, small businesses for for this particular instance. And you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So we've got Michelle Archer in the room. Thank you very much for joining us again. And just before the break, we were talking all about what your rights are as an employer, as a small business employer for the first 12 months. And something you you wanted to really make sure that everybody understood, Michelle, was that um, nobody can uh, accuse you of unfair dismissal in the first 12 months if you have less than 15 employees, um, unless unless it's um, really quite inappropriate sort of harassment or anything else like that. You can't, you know, you can't legalise your way out of, out of something that's really unpleasant. But they can't take you for unfair dismissal. So once you get beyond that 12 months point, it's important that you've had record keeping and all that sort of stuff. Um, and just before the break, we were talking about uh, good record keeping, making sure you write down everything that happens. So what happens at that point where you need to terminate an employee? What are your obligations in terms of terminating an employee at that at that moment on? Can I just say before I move to mm, that, mm. Alexi, just yes. about the the record keeping mm. and the emailing yourself. I, I give my clients the same advice um, about emailing themselves. Um, but I also want to say you need to actually tell your employee that they are being counselled or formally counselled. Um, if you just go and have the chat and say, you know, hey, Alexi, I just think you could, you know, yeah, pull be, better, be better at that. That's they're, not formal counselling, yeah, or they not, don't think it is. They don't think it yeah. is, and they don't really understand that they're being warned. And, and a warning is actually being told in writing that their employment could be terminated. So two emails, one to yourself to remind <laughs> you about what happened and how annoyed you are, and that's yes. okay. But the second one is also the one to them, which explains to them, look, that meeting that we discussed was, in fact, a warning, or do you have to do it before to say we're going to sit down and this is going to be a warning? 
Um, was it not too set in stone? Well, it's not that set in stone, but it's always wise to at least advise them um, ahead of time. That, look, we're going to have a meeting and I'm going to be talking about your performance. It's, you know, that's not all what aspects of your performance have not been good. Mm. The other thing is, is you can, you know, write a letter just saying, you know, these are the issues I've got with your performance and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. ask them to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, but you do need to um, communicate to them the seriousness of of the the warning to use the word yeah, use you, the word warning yeah. then yeah because i mean yeah like you said i mean we try and we try and be nice we try and be the nice guys and sometimes small businesses are not great at that management aspect because they've always ever had to manage themselves particularly if you're mm-hmm. taking on the first employee it doesn't mean to say that you can't have those more informal chats if you think that's all that you need and you're not really thinking about terminating but if you feel that like this employee is really not performing um, then you need to you need to be able to show to the commission that you have actually warned them mm. that their performance is jeopardising their employment. And it needs to be a distinction by the sounds of it. So you can they, they so they make it clear that that incident was a warning, not a, just a friendly, hey, yeah. mate, what you doing, yeah. what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. So um, we, we do talk about unfair dismissal because I think it's something that small business is fearful of. And to be honest, it's probably one of the reasons why uh, they don't hire people and therefore mm-hmm. don't grow and therefore don't grow local economies yep. and things like that. So um, what's the process of an unfair dismissal? Um, what, what can a small business uh, employer expect um, the process to be? Well, the first thing is that it, it must be filed by the claimant within 21 days of them finishing up. Mm. Um, so they only have a very limited window in which to make a claim. Then what will happen is the commission will immediately list that for a in private conciliation. Um, so I would say well over half matters will res- will resolve at conciliation. Um, is that is that like um, mediation? Is that the same thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not it, in front it, of a judge. It, no, it's they actually do it over the phone. Oh, which which how, how impersonal. It's, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's a great way to do it, but it, obviously it's efficient for them to do it that way. And it, they still get the results. They still get the settlements. So you sit on the phone and your employer, um, sorry, your employee will be on the phone and there will be a um, conciliator from the commission also on the phone talking to both parties and trying to get them to resolve things. If it doesn't resolve, it's then listed for hearing. So there is a a mechanism quite early on to try and get the parties to settle the matter so they don't have to go to a hearing. When you say settlement and resolution, are we talking financial or are we talking um, something that just needs to be worked through and touchy-feely so that the person comes back on as an employee? What are the options that might happen at that point? Well, the Commission itself has the power to order reinstatement. Which I think is hilarious because... (laughs) How much tension goes back into the workforce if you have to bring someone back? How does that even work? I mean, yeah, um, you just sort well, of... Well, the Act provides that that's the preferred remedy, but in reality, um, it's quite rarely given, particularly for a small business. It would be very unusual to get a reinstatement order for a small business. Um, the larger, more unionised um, businesses will often get reinstatement orders because um, it's easier for them if there's a particular personality clash to move that person right. away from that. Can't do that yeah. if there's only three employees no. in the office. So it's, it's very rare to get a reinstatement order for a small business. Um, 
the commission has the power to order up to six months salary as compensation. So that's there's a cap that can go above that. Is that a reality though? It's unusual to get the the full six months. Um, it's usually not. Um, it's reserved for the for the worst cases, the really bad cases, the overt, um, unfair um, dismissals. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, it, you can also have to remember you have to take into the circumstance the circumstances of the employee into account. So there was some when I was looking at, I gave a talk to one of my um, larger employer clients um, about things. I was looking at a case about a man who'd who'd sent quite an awful email out to his um, workplace, quite um, disparaging of Islam. And it's, you know, so it was, it was very... It ticks so many boxes. <laughs> but he'd been a very long-term employee with an otherwise very good record. And what the commission did was said, well, even though um, what he did was justified, uh, the dismissal, and mm, they were mm. quite justified in dismissing him, they also should have taken into account uh, his personal circumstances. He was an older man, very unlikely to find another job. So you need to... There are lots of factors to think about. Wow, it's really flexible, isn't it? it is the way very that, flexible. yeah, right. You can also get into trouble by not having, as we've already discussed, a good process. So even though you might have a valid reason for dismissing, if you haven't followed mm, a process mm. or you haven't given those warnings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all that sorts of things, then that can be um, an unfair. Dismissal even with as well. a, a good enough reason to yeah. to to lose, yeah. So I've, say I've heard for example, that. you had um, uh, you had a case of serious misconduct, but you just um, took someone else's word for it and didn't investigate it properly, um, and just said, oh well, you know they they're guilty of this, so I'm going to fire them. Um, if you haven't given them the chance to re- respond to the allegation or whatever the whatever the thing may be, um, then you can be criticised um, and, and uh, you can lose an unfair dismissal case on that basis as well. I'm actually trying to placate people <laughs> about not being so scared of unfair dismissal, but th- those um, examples are a bit scary. Well, it sounds as though um, it seems to be quite a, um, a lenient, I won't say lenient, but it's, it's almost scary it's a bit more fair for small business. It sounds like there's a lot of protections in there. The fact that they've got to do it within 21 days of the ceasing of employment, the fact that uh, they can't do it in the first 12 months regardless of. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've got good record keeping, that that should be on your side. And also the flexibility around the remuneration package that might be offered in order to make them go away. Uh, but um, There's actually one other thing that I've mm. missed as well, Alexi. If you have um, terminated someone for genuine operational reasons, in other words, redundancy, um, then that is a complete defence to an unfair dismissal claim as well. So if you've terminated someone because you just can't afford them anymore or, or um, for reasons of business downturn, then they cannot make an unfair dismissal claim. Even after the 12 months? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And and just before, a cart before the horse thing in terms of process, there's a number of em- employers that I've, I've come across that have uh, terminated someone and they have um, made it nice for them by, say, giving them three weeks' pay. They haven't had any process leading up to it. They haven't really got any formal warnings in place or any conversations that have been noted. Um, is that Would that be considered a redundancy? And if you let someone go with, say, a bit of servant's pay and you tick those boxes and then you immediately hire someone in exactly the same role... Could that person still take you for unfair dismissal? It has to be a genuine redundancy. Yeah, like you're not yeah. going to be using that role yeah. anymore. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, but look, in saying that, oftentimes you still need all the duties and functions of the person. Um, it's just that you're going to, for example, if you've got four employees and you really only need three, but you still need all those jobs done and you you make someone redundant and you give the duties to the other three, then that is a redundancy. Mm. It's not like the job doesn't need so need to be done. Mm. It's just that, that, you know, you don't need, you know, four people, you only need three. Right. So that, you know, that's still a redundancy. But if you literally terminate someone and then hire someone to do exactly that job, then yeah. that's not a redundancy and then that would be a that would potentially be an unfair dismissal claim because it's not a genuine redundancy. Mm, I see what you mean. What what if um, someone, and I'm, I'm doing a bit of what ifs here because I'm just thinking of real life cases that, are, that I've come across, personality fit. How on earth do you dismiss someone through the warning system and making sure they're aware of everyone? How do you say to someone, I just don't like you as a person. I don't want you working in my workplace anymore. You drive me crazy. I don't like coming into my work, my own office because, I mean, I'm literally quoting an exact situation. I don't, I don't want to work with you anymore. <laughs> but they're doing their job okay and it's just a personality fit. This is a reality for small business. So how do you work that system? Well, you need to try and work that out in the first 12 months. 12 would first be the, 12 months. Would be the, with the answer to that. Um, yeah, that's not really a genuine enough reason mm. to just... I you just, just need to get like better you. at hiring people. Yeah, you yeah. need to be able to recognise in 12 months. If you can't yeah. recognise you don't like someone in 12 months, then hmm. <laughs> for other and things that's like For other businesses, it's only six months. So I think that's why... Um, the Act has given small business the 12 months to give them that time to, mm. to really kind of try and work out whether that person fits into their business. And speaking of, of fit and, and making sure that that person understands uh, what their role is, going back to the beginning of the process, one really important part um, that we mentioned in our chats was as, uh, about having a really good job description and employees understand what is expected of them and what they should be doing to be able to achieve that. You can't create it as they go or, I mean, there, there are some pretty basic job descriptions you can find out there for every role, really. You just have to trawl the internet and find a few things that go, yep, that's what I expect that person to do so that when they step into the role, they know what they're going to be expected to be able to achieve. I think job descriptions are really helpful, but I think you also have to be not too prescriptive about them as well because, I mean, you and I both run small businesses ourselves. You don't want to be have someone sitting there saying, well, oh, no, that's not in my job description, so I don't want to do that. Mm. You know, you've got to kind of, everyone's got to kind of help when and do the little chores when they when you need it. So mm. you, you, you can have kind of um, catch-all phrases about, you know, any other duties that, you, I'm, you know, you may be required to perform, but it does help that the person knows and understands what the expectations of the role are because if, you know, if, if you've got a job description is completely alien to what they were expecting, then it, it's not going to make sense yeah, for anyone. Not, yeah. They definitely got a misfit there. Yeah, and you and then they're going to complain when if you start saying, "Well, you're not performing in 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 the role," they're going to say, "Well, you know, I didn't understand mm. what what my job was. I didn't think I had to do mm. that, or I didn't think you know." It's so. one more box that you can tick at the beginning of the process. Yeah, definitely. and also job descriptions are very helpful when you've got the um, the management role. You can use those as. Uh, a basis for your KPIs and how that role can develop and, and improve and increase and they can be looking at um, at potential increases. Now, one very topical subject, just before we wrap up the show, um, there is a 3.3 3 
5% increase, 3.1, oh, I'm going to get the number wrong, um, and it, there's an increase to award rates that everybody needs to be aware of on the 1st of July. So anybody out there who um, is, is employing someone on an award, which is probably a lot of you, if not the majority of you, just uh, keep an abreast of what's going on. Check out the Fair Work Ombudsman website. Make sure that you're aware of what those changes are for the next... Um, payroll that happen pay run that happens after the first of July and just make sure you're aware of those sort of things because that's one of the obligations you have as an employer as well is to make sure you're on top of what you should be paying people. And I would suggest that you would probably do that as part of your end of financial year every year because the awards rates will change usually from the first of July Mm. Uh, and for example there's also a cap that applies to unfair dismissals that changes on the 1st of July every year as well. So be abreast of these things. And of course, if you have any questions, the perfect uh, person to go through is your local employment <laughs> lawyer, of course. Um, look, and where can people find you? Give us a little bit of a plug on your website, Michelle. Uh, my website is www.archerlaw.com.au or you can telephone me on 9980-8308. Wonderful. Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been absolutely jam-packed. We are right up against news time because we've explained so much to our listeners. Of course, if you've missed any aspect of today's show, you can download the podcast via the blogs and podcast page on smallbizmatters.com.au and that's where you can find all of our recent blogs and podcasts, lots of things to listen to, download, uh, educate yourself with and if you've got anything you want to suggest that we talk about in the future, you can also check out our Small Biz Matters Facebook page too and communicate with us there. Thank you once again for coming on the show, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Alexi. It's, it's been fun. It's been fantastic and I uh, look forward to speaking to you all next week on Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it.